Welcome back to the Community Christian Church Podcast. This week, we're joined by teaching pastor Tammy Melchine for week three in our series, Profiles in Courage. Community is one church in four expressions meeting online, in person, and in small groups around the globe. Learn more and plan your visit at communitychristian.org. We love a good rags-to-riches story, don't we? You know, when someone goes from being just an average guy or girl to a totally different life of fame and fortune. We celebrate stories like this in sports, in business, and it's one of the reasons singing competitions like American Idol have such staying power on TV. Yes, American Idol has been on for 20 seasons and is still going strong. It has taken singers like Kelly Clarkson and Jennifer Hudson and Carrie Underwood from relative obscurity and turned them into global superstars. This year's American Idol winner, Noah Thompson, is the latest rags-to-riches story. Did any of you see him win? Noah is a construction worker from Kentucky who didn't even sign himself up for American Idol. One of his construction buddies forced him to do it. Noah admitted he never would have had the confidence to sign up for the show on his own. And yet, now here he is, the season 20 winner with a record deal that will launch his music career. We love these stories of the underdog rising to do great things. And it's probably for all these same reasons that I love the story of Esther from the Bible. Her story fits well into the classic rags to riches theme. Today, as we wrap up our series, Profiles in Courage, we're looking at Esther's story. During the series, we've been digging into Old Testament characters to examine the lives of men and women who came face-to-face with incredible challenges and yet somehow found the courage to rise to the occasion. What can we learn from their stories? How might their stories help us be courageous too? So let me tell you about Esther. Esther was an unknown. She was an orphan with no real status, no legal rights. Esther and her people, the Israelites, had been conquered by the Persian Empire, and they were living in exile in the capital of Persia. Now, if there was one thing the Persians were good at, it was throwing a party. As the story of Esther begins, it starts with a Persian party, and this was a full-blown, all-out Persian party because it was thrown by the ruler of Persia, King Xerxes. He put on a Persian party that lasted for a full six months. Can you imagine getting that invitation? Come to a Persian party. Who? You. Where? The Persian palace. When? June through December. At one point during this prolonged Persian party, King Xerxes takes all the guys over to his part of the palace, and the queen, whose name is Vashti, takes all the women over to her part of the palace. And Xerxes and the men, well, they get plastered. And when people get drunk, they do stupid things. King Xerxes does a stupid thing. He sends for Queen Vashti, saying, come here and display yourself. He wanted her to show off her beauty in front of all his drunk buddies by parading her in front of them. Now, Vashti was beautiful, but she was no doormat, and so she refuses. And Xerxes is so angry that in a drunken rage, he takes away her crown and banishes her from the palace, never to return. 
Now, at this point, our story may seem more like something from daytime television. Like, today on Maury, we'll hear from a woman whose husband divorced her for not flaunting her body in front of his friends. It's crazy, but that's what really happened. Well, as time goes by, and the king is pouting around the palace, his servants come up with a plan to cheer him up. No, they don't throw another party. They planned a pageant, the Miss Persia pageant. Their plan was to find a new queen for King Xerxes. Now, Esther, the orphan, is being raised by her much older cousin, a guy by the name of Mordecai. And cousin Mordecai just happens to be working in the palace. When he finds out about the Miss Persia pageant, he says to her, Esther, enter the pageant, but whatever you do, don't tell them you're an Israelite. And you probably guessed it. The improbable, the seemingly impossible thing happens. Esther gets picked and becomes queen of Persia. So here's Esther, an orphan, a refugee from a faraway land, and she becomes the new queen of Persia. It truly is a rags-to-riches story. But this is just the start of Esther's story. The story becomes even more intense with the entrance of a villain. Not long after Esther becomes queen, the king appoints a guy named Haman to be his second in command. Haman is a heartless, hateful guy, always looking out for himself. As second in command, Haman has a lot of power and he expects people to treat him like it too. Every day he comes to work and people all over the palace bow down to him saying, good morning, my lord, Mr. Haman. When you show up to your office, do your coworkers bow to the ground and say, good morning, sir, or good morning, ma'am? Somehow I don't think my coworkers will ever do that with me. Well, day in and day out, as Haman enters the palace, people bow down. Well, everyone except this one guy. And the one guy who won't bow down is Esther's cousin, Mordecai. Every morning, as all the other people bow and say, good morning, sir, Mordecai doesn't bend the knee. Well, this just burns Haman up. He's thinking, who does this guy think he is not bowing down to me? So someone tells Haman, he's Mordecai. He's one of those Israelites. He's not really one of us. Well, Haman is so put off by Mordecai's action that he decides to get rid of him. But not only does he decide to get rid of Mordecai, he decides to get rid of the whole Israelite population. Haman goes into the king and he says, Your majesty, we have these people amongst us, foreigners, and they're trouble. They're different than us. They don't follow our laws. And if we don't do something about it, it's only going to get worse. He persuades the king to pick a day and decree that on that day, anyone who lives near an Israelite can just get rid of them and take all of their property. For that one day, murder and theft against the Jewish people will be legal. Absurd, right? But the king says, well, Haman, if that's what you think we ought to do, let's do it. And a royal edict goes out all over the Persian Empire. As you might expect, as that word goes out, a whole lot of people start to panic. The entire city is bewildered. How can this be happening and what are Haman and the king doing while the nation is in an uproar? What Persians do best, they celebrate the edict by throwing a Persian party. 
Meanwhile, the people of Israel are weeping and wailing and mourning outside the palace, and Mordecai is right there with them. But remember, there is also an Israelite inside of the palace, Queen Esther. The king doesn't know she's an Israelite. Haman doesn't know she's an Israelite. Remember, that's a little fact she kept to herself. Well, Esther hears the weeping and wailing going on in the streets and wants to know what the ruckus is all about. So she sends one of her servants to find out why Mordecai and his friends are in such distress. Through the servant, Mordecai explains the situation to Esther. He pleads with Esther to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy on the behalf of her people. Now, you might be thinking, her husband is the king. Why not just talk to him, explain the situation, and save the day? It's a perfectly reasonable question, but things weren't that easy. See, in Persia, when a king made a decree, it was irrevocable, even by the king himself, because the king was considered a god. And to think that a god king could make a mistake would have been blasphemy. So the king's edict was set in stone. Plus, if anyone approached the king uninvited, they could be put to death. If the king did not ask to speak to you, even if you were his wife, you were basically risking your life. So Esther's in an awful spot. Not only could no one do anything about the king's decree, she couldn't even approach her husband to talk about it without risking her life. Remember, he's gotten rid of a queen before for a whole lot less. Esther's first response to this situation isn't exactly courageous. She sends a message to Mordecai that says, I can't approach the king because unless he extends his golden scepter to me, I'll be a goner. Basically, she's saying, I can't save everybody else, but if I keep my mouth shut, I can at least save myself. But Mordecai isn't about to let her get off that easy. He sends back a message that is the centerpiece of Esther's story. Here's what he says. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your, fam your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai is reminding Esther of some very important truths in his passionate plea. First, Mordecai reminds Esther, you are who you are for a purpose. No doubt, Esther's in a tough spot. At first, she makes the choice to just blend in, lay low, keep her head down. After all, no one knows she's an Israelite. But Mordecai pleads with her, saying, Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. Remember who you are, Esther, he urges. You are an Israelite, one of God's chosen people. You belong to him. On the outside, Esther had a lot of things going for her. She was the king's favorite. She was the queen. Maybe she had gotten so caught up in her outer circumstances that she was out of touch with her true identity. After all, she wasn't even aware of what was happening to her people. But Mordecai reminds her that she is one of God's people, a child of God, 
one of his chosen, queen or not, that is her true identity. Let me ask you, do you know who you are? What your true identity is according to God? When you face a moment of decision, do you understand that you are who you are for a purpose? Being a Christ follower, it's not about behavior or attitude or ritual. It's about identity. Being a Christ follower means that, that my deepest, truest identity is in being a beloved child of God. There was a movie that came out years ago called Aquila and the Bee. Anyone remember seeing it? Akila is an 11-year-old girl growing up in L.A. who struggled in school and her family life left a lot to be desired. For all intents and purposes, the world was telling Akila, you don't come from the right family, the right school, or the right neighborhood. You don't amount to much. But then a teacher took notice of Akila and helped her to see her real identity. A quote from this movie struck me as what we, as God's children, need to remember when we're facing decisions that require courage. It says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. I love that. As a child of God, you are meant to shine. You are who you are for a purpose. Your identity as a beloved child of God can give you the courage to make tough decisions in your life. Every time you make a decision about your relationships, your time, your goals, your entertainment, your finances, you need to remember who you are. What would a follower of Jesus decide in this moment? How would a beloved child of God move forward? You are who you are for a purpose. But that's not the only thing Mordecai wants Esther to remember. He is also reminding her you are where you are for a purpose. At this critical time in the history of the Israelite people, Esther finds herself in the king's palace. She is the queen. She is in a unique position. She has a unique opportunity. Will she let God use her where he has placed her? I believe God arranges our lives for impact. God was at work in Esther's life, arranging things to give her the opportunity to have an influence. And I believe that God has been at work in, in our lives since day one, arranging things so that we too can have impact and influence for Him. Now, you might be thinking, how can this be? Where my life is, is not good. My life is full of hard stuff. Are you saying that God has arranged that? Well, I can tell you this. God doesn't cause evil things, but he is so faithful to us and to his purposes that he can arrange things that he did not cause to work for good. If I walk into a room and there's furniture somebody else put in there, I can still arrange the furniture in that room, right? 
I think that's kind of what God does. He, he causes the good things and then he arranges all the bad things so that anything and everything can be used for his purposes. As Paul says in Romans, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Where you are right now, God has plans and purposes for you there. That where might be your job, your neighborhood, your marriage, or your school. It might be an opportunity you have to raise your children or invest in the lives of your friends. You are where you are for a purpose. And one other thing, you are when you are for a purpose. It might sound funny to say it that way. Here's how Mordecai said it to Esther. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Now is your time, Esther, Mordecai says. Do you recognize that that you are when you are for a purpose? And yet, instead of now, so many of us get stuck on someday. Someday I'll go back to school. Someday I'll start working on my marriage. Someday I'll chase my dreams. Someday I'll invite my neighbors to church. Or how about this one? Someday I'll give my life to Jesus. Not today, but but someday. Let me ask you, why not today? You are when you are for a purpose. Mordecai tells Esther, you are who you are You are where you are. You are when you are for a purpose. As she considers the decision before her, Esther gathers her courage and sends this reply. She says, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I love this. Esther is in the moment of decision. She is perfectly positioned for impact and influence. And what does she do? She says, yes, it's me. It's now. Let's go. And if I perish, I perish. The rest of the story is that the king extends the golden scepter to Esther. He hears her out. And when he realizes how Haman manipulated him, he has Haman executed in Mordecai's place. What's more, he issues a second edict, giving the Israelites the right to defend themselves and fight back against anyone who might try to kill them and take their property. And so the Israelites are saved. When I reflect on Esther's story, I see an invitation in it for you and for me. No, this isn't an invitation to a Persian party, although if someone wants to throw a party, I'm sure we'd all come. This is an invitation to a purpose. Who is this invitation for? It's for you. You are who you are for a purpose. Where is this purpose taking place? In your life, only you in looking to God can answer the specific place. Could it be at your school, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, 
at your workplace or with your friends. Someone needs God's love. Someone needs Jesus' touch in their life through you. I don't know where God wants to use you to bless others and make a difference. I just know that you are where you are for a purpose. How might God want to use you in that place? And lastly, when? Today. You are who you are. You are where you are for such a time as this. Don't wait. Do what God wants you to do today. Today is the day. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too busy. You're not too insignificant. You're not too messed up. You're not too weak or inconsequential. You are who you are. You are where you are. You are when you are for a purpose. So there's only one question left to ask. Will you accept the invitation? We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.